Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, be finding your way to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. We're going to be uh, in the Old Testament this morning. As Bailey uh, let us know in our opening, uh, that we are going to be talking about evangelism. So last week we talked about discipleship and about how discipleship is done through the teaching of the gospel. So as we get on the same page this morning, as you're finding your way there, I want to give us a definition of evangelism because there's a ton of different ways to go about doing evangelism, but I want us to be on the same page this morning as we're talking about evangelism. So uh, evangelism is simply this, sharing the good news. So the Greek word of gospel is euangelion. It just simply means good news or good tidings. So what we're talking about when we're talking about evangelism is sharing the good news. And what is that good news? Christ. That Christ has came into the world, that he is the Messiah, the one that died for the sins of his children. And that's what we're talking about this morning, about how we as the church are called to share that good news. And yes, there's uh, places all throughout scripture or even uh, job ministries that people call themselves evangelists. It comes from that same Greek word of euangelion, evangelize, meaning to share the good news. There's people specifically that go and do this as a full-time job, like say a missionary. But what I want us to see as the Branch Church Milledgeville is that all of us have a role to play as evangelists in sharing the gospel. Now, I know the tension that some of you guys may be feeling in the pit of your stomach right now when it comes to sharing the gospel, uh, how your hands kind of get sweaty when you think about sharing the gospel and your, your stomach turns into knots and you're like, what am I going to say? What is this person going to think about me? Trust me, I get it. Uh, it is a joyful thing for us to be able to do, but it is also something that can be seemingly difficult. But I want us to understand this morning uh, why we can have confidence as we go and share the gospel. So you may be asking that question this morning. It's the same question we're going to ask of Isaiah 61, is how can I confidently share the gospel? So if you take notes, that is our question that we're going to be seeking to answer from this chunk of scripture. We're actually going to go through the whole chapter this morning of how can I confidently share the gospel. Now through this, we're going to break this up into four different things, I think, that we get to see from the prophet Isaiah that we can share because Jesus did first. We can confidently share the gospel because Jesus did first. From there, we're going to see that we can share because it is our purpose. This is what we were designed to do. God has intimately, as his children, as the redeemed Christian, we've been designed to do this. But we can also share because we have already been blessed. And now when we get into that, what we're talking about, there's not primarily material blessing, but we're going to see that as a redeemed son or daughter of the king, that is the blessing by which we can then go and share the gospel. And finally, we'll see that we can share because it is God who saves. That we can be confident as we go out because we have a sovereign king who is the one that saves. So uh, as we look at this text this morning, I want us to keep those things in mind. But before we do, let's go to our Father in prayer and ask him for clarity and wisdom as we seek to answer this question this morning. So Father, thank you. Thank you we can come in this room and that we can open your word. 
God, as we seek to do what you have called us and equipped us and made us to do, that is to share your good news that you have come into the world, that you have lived a life that we could not, that you took on the sins of your children and you paid them all on the cross bearing God's wrath, the wrath that was due us. And you died and you rose again, raising us with you. God, would this be ever present on our lips? God, we need your wisdom and your discernment. Would you give me your words to encourage your children this morning of how we can go out and we can have confidence in sharing this good news? God, we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So what we see here in Isaiah, uh, first and foremost, is that Isaiah is a prophet. So he is a, an ordained office of the Lord. This one that was used as the spokesperson for the Lord to his people. So Isaiah was written during a time previous to the Jewish people being carried off into captivity, into uh, exile, and into this. This is what uh, we get to see that Isaiah is prophesying about, that he is talking about a time in the future after this exile is to come into which the Messiah, the one that was anointed, the Christ who we know as Jesus, what he would do in his ministry, and then what his children, the ones that he saves, would do in light of that. So we get to see in this text this morning that we start in this first chunk and we get to see uh, Jesus the Messiah of what he's going to do, and then from there we get to see what we as his chosen people do in light of that. So as we said from the beginning, the first thing we see is that we can share because Jesus first did. So if you're there in Isaiah 61 with me, we're gonna read uh, these first three verses and see if this is actually an accurate statement. So picking up in verse one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, in the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, verse three, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So we get to see in these opening three verses that this is the prophecy of the coming Messiah, of what he would do. We could see there at the beginning of verse one that the Lord had anointed the Messiah, so God had anointed Jesus. So uh, just side note free, this is not part of the notes, but if someone is saying anointing, that's not talking about talent. They're talking about being set aside for something, for a specific purpose, called to. When David was anointed king, it was not because he was special, in fact, it was opposite. He was anointed, set aside for an office. This is what we see here, that God had anointed the Messiah Jesus and set aside him for a very specific purpose. That was to bring good news to the poor. 
this good news is this gospel that we're talking about. We see in there that there's nothing but good news that the Messiah is bringing to his children. We get to see there's good news. He is binding up the brokenhearted. We see that there's liberty that he's proclaiming to the captives. There's favor from the Lord. There's comfort. There's beauty instead of ashes. There's gladness and praise. This is the message, if you are in this room this morning, that God is saying to you in the good news of the gospel that although you may be mourning, there will be joy if you remember what Christ has already done for you. You may be afflicted, but he will bind up those wounds as he will pour himself out on the cross. This is the prophecy of the coming Messiah, of what he did. This is our king. This is why we can have confidence, because Jesus himself proclaimed good news. So we ask that question again, how can I confidently share the gospel? Because Jesus first shared. I love, love, love this story in Luke. Um, We'll have it up here on the screen for you. But when Jesus first entered into ministry, one of the first things that he did was this in Luke 4, 18 through 21. We get to see that Jesus first did this because this was a prophecy of the Messiah, of what he was to do. And some 700 years later, this is what Jesus did. So Luke 4, 18 through 21. Jesus, he's going into a congregation or synagogue, and he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Is that not the ultimate might drop from Jesus that he knew that he existed as the word before he became flesh? This prophecy would be the thing the Messiah was to do. So he, as he starts his ministry, is saying, this is me. I am proclaiming to you good news that this is being fulfilled in your very presence. In our very presence in this room this morning, we have the benefit of looking back and seeing the world and seeing this scripture through the lens of the cross, and we get to say, this prophecy indeed was true. If you're looking for confidence that Christ indeed is the Messiah, the promised one, the one you can put your hope in, when you are feeling broken and you're feeling enslaved to your sin, that you can look back through the cross and say, he indeed is the anointed one that came to take Take away the sins of the world, the lamb that was slain, to take it all and bear your sin on the cross. This is the Messiah that we see, and this should give us hope, because Jesus first shared, we too can confidently share. That's why Ephesians 6, 19 through 20 says this, and Paul is saying, starting in verse 19, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. So he's talking about sharing this good news, sharing the gospel. He's talking about evangelizing here. Boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Love that, proclaiming boldly. 
Paul is saying because he knows who the Messiah is, because what he's been set aside to do, because Christ first came and shared this good news with him, he can speak boldly. Spurgeon, when it's talking about this idea of evangelism and how we can have confidence in Christ, says this, but the best argument of all for evangelism is to be found in the wounds of Jesus. You want to honor him? You desire to put many crowns upon his head? And this you can do, this you can best do by winning souls for him. These are the spoils that he covets. These are the trophies for which he fights. These are the jewels that shall be his best adornment. This is the message of the gospel, that we can have confidence because this is what Christ has came into the world to do. Spurgeon is saying this is the adornment as, as a woman would gladly wear her wedding band and wedding ring and show it off to the world. That's what we as the bride of Christ do as we are adorned by Christ. We show the world the beauty of the gospel. It's why we can have confidence because Christ first did it. But Christian... You have been given beauty for your ashes. So before we even go and share this good news, we have to remember why it was good news in the first place. Because there was bad news. And that bad news is our broken and our sinful flesh that we were willfully ignorant to and we chased after. These are the ashes that we have. And these ashes, if you think about in, in this culture, they would, uh, as they were mourning over the death of a, uh, of a loved one or maybe over sin that was so prevalent in their life, they would cover themselves with ashes in a sign of repentance. And in this text, the Messiah is coming to give them a, head, a, a beautiful garland in, in, in wedding ceremonies at this time, the women would wear flowers in their hair, uh, partially, yes, to cover up smell because there was not that much hygiene at the time, but as a beautiful depiction that they've been set aside for something beautiful. And this is the image into which Isaiah is talking about this good news, is that we in this room have nothing but ashes apart from the goodness of Christ that we are so broken and so sinful that the only thing that we have to offer up are those ashes we should be covering ourselves with. So as we go into the world, why we can have confidence in we sharing this gospel, this good news, is that we go sharing not something about how good we are, but how great our Savior is. If sharing the gospel was about you and your story and how great you are, would you not feel like a liar every time you shared your story because you know how sinful you are, you know how broken you are? Isn't it so joyful to know that you have been given the righteousness of Christ instead of your filthiness? Because you see that this turns weeping to rejoicing. We should all weep and well over unrepentant sin in our life. But as we go out, we can go out confidently. The questions that you're having in your mind right now, how can I go out confidently? You can do that because you can rejoice as you go out. The difference in this is completely stark from night to day, one to the next. Imagine this is a picture of someone being on death row, and it was their day to die. 
and that they were not only released, but it became their wedding day that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and then we became alive and united with Christ as his bride, and he is our groom. The difference is the buzz of the electric chair to the wedding bells. You get to hear the stark difference. Why we get to go out with joy is because we were dead, but now we are alive, and we share that good news with the world because that is what this dying world needs to hear, that there is a Savior. That is what we're called into that this is the gospel, that is his righteousness, not ours. We must start there. But we can also have confidence as we share the gospel, not only because Christ first did, but because it is our purpose. This is what we are designed to do. So pick back up with me in verse four. They shall build up the ancient ruins they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, there shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have an everlasting joy. Do you see the purpose, like we said at the outset, those first three verses we read are the prophecy of the coming Messiah, of the good news of Christ, of what he would proclaim. But what we just read is for us in this room, if indeed we've been saved. That's why the uh, author here, Isaiah, changes from what the Messiah was here to do to what we, he kept using that word, they, over and over, they, they, they. That they is us. And what our purpose is, we can see immediately in verse four, they shall build up the ancient ruins. We can see in verse six that we will be called priests of the Lord, that when we speak, we will be ministers of God. We've been given specific identity and purpose as we go out to a broken world to be ministers, to be priests, to to go into the broken places of the world and proclaim this good news. And the things that have been destroyed by the weight of sin, like a ruined city, we go into and we have the joy of going in the good news of the gospel. We get to help in the process of making all things new again. That is what our Savior is in the process of doing. Because you see, this is all over Scripture. I love how the uh, New Testament authors often go back to the Old Testament to find inspiration, to find the words to say of what we as members of this new covenant are called to do. And I love how Paul uses this text, or excuse me, Peter uses this text, and Paul, honestly. Um, In 1 Peter 2.9, when we're talking about what we are in our identity, Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Did we not see that there back in Isaiah in verse six, that we shall be called priests of the Lord? Peter goes on to say that we are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So we're not only given this new identity and purpose as a priest, but it's for a very specific purpose there. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Is that not sharing the gospel? Is that not sharing the good news, the excellencies of our king? That is what we are called to do as priests. But then Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, he says this, And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And here it is, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That we see there in verse 18 in 2 Corinthians that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Is that not what Isaiah said in verse 6, that when they speak of us that we'll be ministers of our God? They're using the same language, stacking it up on top of each other for the purpose of showing that this is what we were designed to do when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were not only saved from something. You realize that, right? You were saved from eternity apart from God, but you have also been saved to something. That is the good news of the gospel, and you've been saved to be salt and light in this world. You're called to be a priest, to go and to care and love of not only the fellowship in this room of believers, but those outside of these four walls. You're called into a ministry of reconciliation as Christ reconciled the world to himself through him dying on a cross. We get to enter into that frame and do the same thing. This is our purpose. That's why George Whitfield, who's an amazing evangelist in the uh, late, or excuse me, yeah, late 18th century, uh, that he would be an evangelist that would go and just preach in open air. He would say this, God forbid that I should travel with anybody a quarter of an hour without speaking of Christ to them. A quarter of an hour. We've been in this room for 20 minutes or me preaching 20 minutes. Every 15 minutes, his life was so dedicated that this was his identity and his purpose. He says, God forbid that I don't do it. This guy, uh, if you study his life, is not someone just a social elite or even a spiritual elite. Like we talked about last week, if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Same thing goes for us in this room today. If you are a Christian, you are an evangelist. You are called to go and share this good news of the gospel. That this is what we do. That's why we say, Christian, looking back at this text, you help God rebuild ruined cities. How many of you guys saw the Theta Chi house either burn or the rubble that was left afterwards? Imagine if that was a picture of someone's life, the carnage that is left because of sin. And the only thing that we can do as humans when a building burns like that is bulldoze it to the ground and clear out a lot like there is now. Almost no remembrance of that place being there save for in our memories. But that's not the truth when it comes to souls. 
Souls are eternal, and because of the carnage that sin causes, they are torn down. But the good news of the gospel is, even in this room, if you feel so broken and wasted and that you can't be rebuilt, the good news is you cannot rebuild yourself, but Christ can, and that we as his children go out with this message, and we get to help him stack stones on top of stones and bring lumber to lumber in these people's lives that we get to speak the gospel here, and we get to discourage all the sin that they may be enslaved to here and slowly little by little God is rebuilding that life into his son and daughter and we have a role to play in it God could have advanced his gospel his good news in any way that he saw fit and he chose to use us as broken individuals as broken vessels he did not have to but he sovereignly chose to we have a role to play so you can confidently share this gospel as you go out into your classrooms, as you go out into your job, into your family, into this community, because you were made to do it. We talked about in one of our, our point people team meetings this morning about how oftentimes it feels like sharing the gospel is really scary or this really tough thing. And honestly, we all kind of came to that conclusion this morning that we just kind of hype it up and make it a bigger deal than it really is. We get tunnel vision and we get uh, this anxiety welling up inside of us. Even though all we know is, as Spurgeon would say, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We don't have to be perfect in this and we will never be perfect in this. As you go out and share, you're going to have awkward conversations. People are going to shut you down. People may even persecute you. But praise God if they persecuted the disciples and the apostles and Christ himself, you're in good company. We share the good news of the gospel. But we can also have confidence and we share because we have been blessed in us being saved. That's why Isaiah continues back in Isaiah 61 verse 8 for I the Lord love justice I hate robbery and wrong I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples all who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Not looking for a new blessing, but God is saying here in this text, the primary reason that they are already blessed, that you and I are already blessed, is because we have a relationship with him. There in the telling of verse 9, that we are not only blessed because of a relationship, but we are an offspring of him, is what he says. That we have been adopted into this family. That we have been blessed beyond anything that we could ever want or ask. I sit down with so many guys, so many girls that say, man, I, I, I know I've been blessed in the Lord, but wouldn't it just be nice to have just a little bit more money or a little bit more time or a little bit more something? And I'm here to tell you, even if you had all of those, you would not be satisfied, and none of it compares to the blessing that you already have. Stand firm that you can share the testimony of Christ because you've already experienced it. 
if you are truly a son or daughter, why it's so easy to share the gospel for you, why you can be confident in it, is because all you are doing is sharing your life experience. Who can tell your story better than you can? No one. And if your story is intersecting with the bigger story of all of creation, that our story all fit into the narrative of God redeeming the world, that's all we do. We share what Christ has done for us. It's that simple. It's the good news of the gospel. So like we said, how can we confidently share? Because we've already been blessed. That's why Paul would say in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, don't miss this, with which he has blessed us in the beloved that before the foundation of the world, as we sang earlier, that he predestined to adopt us. As we read in 1 Peter, that he is the one that chose us in him. That is the biggest blessing that you could ever have. That although you were filthy and vile and had nothing to bring to the table, that God looked on you in his mercy and brought you into his family, as we saw back in Isaiah 61.9, that we became an offspring of his, that we have been adopted into his family because he has blessed us as we saw there in Ephesians 1.6, blessed us in the beloved. That beloved is Christ. He has given us everything we need and that's all we need to share. We have Christ, we share Christ. One equals one. That is the hope that we stand in. That's why Paul would say in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over, tr- over them in him. Now what does that have to do with us being blessed? Everything. That is what we were saved from. That is what God did in triumphing over sin. That's what we deserved previous to Christ. So why can we have confidence? I love this. If you guys haven't read anything from, by David Platt or haven't listened to a sermon, uh, this excerpt that we're gonna read here from uh, his book called Radical is what got me into ministry. I read this book and I said, if that is what Christianity is about, if this is what the church is called to do, I'm in. And when he talks about us being blessed in that book, he says this, God blesses his children with extravagant grace so they might extend his extravagant glory to all peoples on the earth. God has blessed us 
his children with his grace, that we extend it. This is not just something that we hear again and again and again and again and become numb to. How often do we hear this and we can sit back in our chairs and say, I already know that. I don't need to take that note. I've memorized that. I can sit back and yawn and say, I've got this. I'm okay. This is something I've heard over and over and over again. But is my prayer through the power of the Holy Spirit that this falls fresh on you because this is the core tenet of Christianity. What you have been given, you are called to extend. This is who we are as children of God. Our story that we're talking about right now is better than any movie you would ever watch. It's better than any fairy tale that you will ever read because as we saw in Isaiah 1.8, the Lord loves justice and he hates robbery and wrongdoing. As we read earlier there in verse number two, in the day of the vengeance of our God, our God is love, but he is also all-encompassing of wrath and we stand in the way of God and his justice in our sin and that we have the best fairy tale story ever because we were that thief that stole from the king that deserved to be put to death. But the king himself broke our shackles and our chains as he took our punishment. How is this not better than any story that you have ever heard? Sounds like a Hollywood story. This is who we are called to be, but it's even better than that. Not only does he take our place, but then he adopts us into his family. The intimacy by which we have a God that loves us so dearly. When you guys and college students are here away from your families, does your heart not yearn for them, to spend time with them? If you have a loved one that has passed away, do you not yearn to see their face again? We're built for this union and community. And even of us in this room that have broken relationships, do we not long for them to be made new again? This is wired into our DNA. This is the heartbeat of the gospel, that we have been blessed so we can be a blessing to others as we invite them into this family. This is why we invite people into our missional communities. This is why we invite people to a Sunday gathering. This is why we invite people into coffee, into lunch, into movies, into sunset fields, and into your life because we are saying we have the sustenance that you're looking for. You're broken, you're hurting, you're tired, you're weary. You don't understand what's going on in your life. We didn't at one point either. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but come into this family. We'll love you. We'll feed you. We'll encourage you. This is the fellowship that we get to extend to the world. We can do this because Christ first paid it all for us, and he broke us of our sin. But I think out of the the three things that we've really shared so far, why we can have confidence in sharing the gospel, I think this fourth one really should take the cake and remove any doubt in our minds as why we can confidently share the gospel. And that is, we can share because through it, through the sharing of our gospel, God is the one who saves, not us. That's why, getting back in Isaiah, Isaiah would say it this way, as we close out the chapter here, verses 10 through 11. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what it is sown in it to sprout up. Do we not see that this is what Christ is saying? This is what the Spirit was saying. This is what God is saying, that it is about him and through him that salvation occurs. So why does this give us confidence? Because it's God the one that saves. Scripture would agree with us here, uh, or should we say more uh, correctly that we would agree with Scripture. Acts 13, 47 through 38 says it this way. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And catch this. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as the Lord had appointed that his gospel would save, believed. Yes, that the disciples went and preached and they shared the good news and they shared the gospel, but as many as were appointed believed. It's what scripture says. That's why it's consistent not only in New Testament, but Old Testament. Isaiah 43, 10 through 11, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah earlier. And he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. There's that evangelism of us sharing. What does a witness do in a trial? They're bystanders. They witness something and they testify to what they witnessed. They're bystanders. They didn't do anything. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, no shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. That is God himself who is the Savior. Why does this give us confidence? What we are saying here is that God is sovereign over everything, even salvation. So you might be asking yourself this question, well, well, well Kyle, why does this give me confidence? Why do I even need to evangelize? If God is sovereign over salvation, is it not pointless? By no means. So I love this quote from J.I. Packer in a book that I would love for you guys to read if you have any questions about this topic. It's called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. In this he says about this evangelism being pointless. So far from making evangelism pointless, the sovereignty of God and grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless, for it creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Apart from it, there is not even a possibility of evangelism being fruitful. Were it not for the sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen, and there would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. I don't think there's a more poignant way of saying that. God being sovereign and in control over everything 
why it gives us confidence is because apart from him, are we not broken? Apart from him, yes, you should be anxious if you are going to share the gospel. Apart from him, you should feel helpless. Apart from him, you should feel hopeless. Apart from him, you should not see anyone come to know Christ. But praise be to God, it is not up to us. That it is up to our Savior that we go and we deliver faithfully. We do not know who the Lord will save, so we openly preach to whoever will hear us. We go to the ends of the world. Did we not see this in the Great Commission last week? In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it's to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command. And how does it finish? And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why the Great Commission, like we said last week, of making disciples will be successful is because the Spirit is with us. It is by His power we do it. And why evangelism, the proclamation, the sending out of His name will be successful is because God has ordained it. If God has said that He is going to save, Genesis 3.15, the minute sin came into the picture, He makes His first covenant promise of saving people. When sin comes into the frame and Adam and Eve fall, does he not say that there will be, through the lineage of the woman, the offspring that will save the people from their sins? Does he not go into Noah and preserve the lineage of Noah? And does he not preserve the lineage all the way to Abraham? And through Abraham's faith, he says, through you, all the worlds will be blessed. This is the streamlined story of the entire picture of the redemptive history of Scripture. And we get to play a part in it. And the part we get to play is dependent on God. So why do we have confidence when we share? When you're talking to that classmate that you have sat next to all semester and you've wanted to share the good news of the gospel. When you're at work with that coworker and it's just you guys closing down and you're mopping floors and you have that burning sensation in your heart to share this good news that's knit up inside your soul that you have the answer to eternity. The reason why you can be bold in those conversations is because it's not up to how good you sound. It's not up to how articulate you can be be. It's not up to how persuasive you can be. It's not up to you. It's up to your Savior. This should free us up like nothing else can. We can be bold in the sharing of the gospel. This is what we were designed to do. That's why I love what Isaiah makes this illustration for us. In uh, Isaiah 61, 11, when he talks about a garden and its sprout. And, but how the Lord is the one that causes the growth. Uh, if you haven't heard uh, Alex, a couple of, uh, probably about a month or so ago now in FAM, taught the sermon about the sower of seeds, and that's the going out of the gospel and how it falls on different soils. And it just reminded me of this this week as I was studying and how it's the Lord that causes it where it to land to either take root and hold, or it, birds come away and pluck it up, or it falls on rocky soil and it's not planted. So why you can go out in confidence is because, yes, you should be a good gardener. As you take care of plants and you give them the proper sunlight and water and nourishment, 
you create an atmosphere that is conducive. You do uh, what scripture would call man's responsibility in evangelism. But ultimately, if you've ever gardened a second in your life, you know you can feel like you're doing everything right and growth does not happen. That is the same thing with the gospel. We are called to try to make those atmospheres conducive. That's our responsibility of trying to preach boldly, being accurate, giving the gospel, our parts that we have to play in this, but ultimately the growth, just like that sprout, is in the hidden secret place. And that's where Christ resides, and he causes that growth. So as we tying these four thoughts together that we can be confident first and foremost because Christ first preached the good news then because it is our purpose because we've been blessed and because ultimately it's God who saves I know in this room there are many of us that are maybe hearing this message preached this way and maybe just don't agree I'd love to talk to you and to show you from scripture why we believe what we believe here at the branch. But ultimately, why we can go is because Christ first came for us. I love that our Savior doesn't just leave us with a great commission that's overwhelming, but he gives us hope. So maybe uh, as we're feeling some of this tension this morning, maybe the words from Christ in his Sermon on the Mount would be of great encouragement to us. So I ask you, Christian, are you poor? Delight yourself in the richness of his love. Are you thirsty? Come to the well that will never run dry. Are you hungry? Come to the table, for he is your daily bread. Are you lowly? Your lowly Savior will lift up your head. Are you tired in this ministry? Come to him, for he says his burden is easy and his yoke is light. Are you mourning? You will be comforted. Are you persecuted in this evangelism? Like we said, you're in great company. You are blessed, for they persecuted your king. Are you seeking to share the gospel? He will give you the words and blesses as he chooses. So this is the first time you've heard that message. We would love to just talk as we've talked about this here and we're sending this out as a springboard, if you're sitting in this room and you said, I've never heard that message, we would love to celebrate with you. Just talk about what it means if the Lord is showing that you were spiritually poor, that you were in bondage to sin, that you're in captivity. If the Spirit is showing you that, we would love to talk through those things with you. But if you are indeed in Christ, if you have something to take notes on, I want to give us specific charge this week as we go out. This is a springboard. I know we may, for some of us college students, only have maybe one more week, two more weeks at most. What a better time than to go. And what I'm asking of us is to ask one person you know that does not know this good news. To ask them to specifically Grab lunch or coffee with the intent of talking about your worldview. So not this bait and switch where let's just grab and hang out, but with the intentionality of how someone was intentional with you and shared the gospel with you. I'm asking us to do the same this week. But ask for permission. Don't just 
say it's a hangout, but is this not what we're called to do? Is this not what you were designed to do, you were blessed to do, and ultimately you can have that confidence because God is the one that saves. So how can we confidently share the gospel? Because it is the God of the universe who saves. And we just go. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have been given this call that I know we've heard time and time and time again. But God, what has not changed, maybe for some of us in this room, is that obedience to that call, is that confidence in that call. God, I pray that we would be a church that is on mission. As you say in your word in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That is why you came. That was your mission. Would we realize as those priests and as those ministers, we've been brought into the same mission. Would we go out boldly, trusting the Spirit to give us the words to say? Would we rest in Matthew 10, 20, when you say, for when we speak, it will not be we that speak, but the Spirit of our Father that speaks in us? Would this not just be a flippant thing we say we do as Christians, but would it be, as George Whitfield said, far be it from us that we travel with someone for more than 15 minutes without sharing you. But God, the only reason we can is because you first came and preached the good news to us when we were far off. And we thank you for that. God, thank you for first loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.